Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to the first class in our new series about Abraham. We're calling the series Adventures in Faith with Abraham. And this is our first class, which is an introduction, some of his, some of his background culturally, historically, geographically. That's what we're going to look at today. And since we've got a lot to cover, let's get straight into it. So first of all, why does Abraham matter? Why, do, why should we study Abraham? Well, let me tell you a story. A few years ago, I was in India. I'd been asked to go there and do some teaching for the churches there. I was in Mumbai, I think it was, and I asked what I should preach on that coming Sunday, and they asked me to preach on Abraham. And I asked, fine, no problem, but why Abraham? And they said something that was, which has always stuck with me, which is that they said, well, you have to understand that in our churches in India, there are lots of new Christians who've never heard of Abraham. And that, um, that short-circuited my brain slightly for a moment or two. I thought, how can Christians not know about Abraham? And then the person said to me, well, it's because a lot of them grow up without any knowledge of the scripture at all. And you don't, let's face it, have to know about Abraham to become a Christian, which I thought, actually, that does make sense. So many people from perhaps a Hindu background or other backgrounds that don't have a background in knowledge of Christianity, they become Christians, they're, they're fully-fledged disciples of Jesus, but then they have some gaps that need filling in. And so I, I preached on Abraham that day uh, on Genesis uh, chapter 22, in fact. And I hope it left something useful for them uh, in their, a better understanding of Abraham. But it does seem to me that although we don't need to know about Abraham to become a Christian, our Christian faith is much impoverished if we don't get to understand him, understand his faith, understand his situations, and understand the lessons from his life that God would have us learn. So that's, I hope, what's going to happen for all of us this January and February as we focus on Genesis 12 to 25 and we look at the life of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael and Lot and all the other characters. We're going to learn lessons about faith that are going to deepen our faith and enrich our faith and prepare us to be men and women of faith as we go into 2021. Jesus himself talked quite a lot about Abraham, as did all the New Testament writers, pretty much. And if you want all the New Testament references to Abraham, I'm putting them in the notes to this class. So you'll find them at the bottom of the, the show notes. Jesus said a lot about him. And then we find in particular two scriptures which are in some ways foundational or, or framing what we're doing here about Abraham. And one is from Romans 4, verse 16. And the Apostle Paul wrote this. The promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. And I love this phrase. He is the father of us all. He's the father of us all. His faith. He's the father of faith to the Israelites, and to all followers of Jesus. He's like a father to all of us. Don't you want to get to know your father better, in a sense? And then the other scripture is Hebrews 11 and verse 8, which says this, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, and this is the key phrase, even though he did not know where he was going, even though he did not know where he was going. 
Frankly, I sometimes feel in my life, I don't know where I'm going, or I don't know where we're going, or I don't know where society is going, or I don't know where the church is going, or I don't know what's, what's going on, God. And we think about this last year, uh, COVID-19 in particular, and the fact that it's, well, it's still with us at the time of recording and still a challenge. Where are we going? And even though we don't know where we are going, if we live a life of faith, we can see our faith rewarded, if that's the right word, or blessed or used by God to his glory and the benefit of humankind if we have the faith of Abraham. So he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. What a wonderful example for you and me as we look forward into 2021 and beyond. So I hope that what we achieve by focusing on him are at least two things. Firstly, that we will find him to be an inspiration for a life of faith in uncertain times. And secondly, that we will learn better how to live an adventurous life of faith. That's my hope and prayer for me and for you in the next couple of months. Now today, we'll cover a few bits of background. Firstly, let's deal with the question, did Abraham really exist? Or should we even ask the question? I think we should, because there are plenty of skeptics out there who would say Abraham never existed. We can't know about someone who lived 4,000 years ago. But what I would say is this. Firstly, and we won't go into all the details now, but I would say firstly, if you were going to make up a story about somebody from 4,000 years ago or however long ago, you, you wouldn't put this much detail in. Abraham is presented to us by the author of Genesis as somebody real, as someone we can connect with, someone we can relate to, someone we can imitate. We've got so much detail about his lifestyle, about the conversations he had, the, 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 the way his marriage worked, his children, his household, his interactions with other rulers of the day. There's so much detail. It does sound to me rather like the author believed in him. And of course, Jesus references him many times. So we should take that into account. Now, there are some apparent contradictions in the narrative. Let me talk about a couple of those to show how we can deal with them. Firstly, in Genesis 21, verse 34, it says, Abraham sojourned, sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. In the land of the Philistines. Now, it's said that the Philistines weren't around at that point in the land, and therefore we know that that's an anachronism, and that means that that passage, some would say, is inaccurate. But I'd say it's not inaccurate, because what it's trying to do is describe the place where Abraham lived, written down much later than the time of Abraham, at a time when the Philistines were in the land, and therefore you'd say, you know where Abraham lived? He lived in the land of the Philistines. And at the time of the writing of that, that would have made sense to the people that were around at the time, even though the Philistines weren't necessarily physically in the land when Abraham lived there. might be a bit like me, say, me saying this. My, I had a great-great-grandfather who lived in East London, um, uh, back in the 19th century. I might say to you, my great-great-grandfather lived in London his entire life. He never travelled outside the M25. And you, you, so a historian could say, but that's an anachronism because there was no M25 in the 19th century. No, of course not. But I'm describing to you in ways that you would understand the kind of geography that uh, that describes where my grandfather, great-grandfather lived and and traveled. So I say to you, my great-great-grandfather lived in London, didn't travel outside the M25. You know exactly what I'm trying to convey. So I think it's something rather like that. So it's a contradiction in a sense, but it's not meaningful. Next, let's talk about camels. 
Some say that it, when it references in Genesis that Abraham had camels, it's anachronistic because camels weren't in Israel at that time. There's no evidence of that, apparently. However, I read an article in the Biblical Archaeology Review from November, December 2018, a couple of years ago, which revealed that there's more evidence than one might think. And interestingly, just the other week, I noticed that Doug Jacobi has a post on his website on this very point. And so I won't go into the details now. I'll put the link to Doug's uh, post in the show notes and you can go and look at that yourself. But what we do find is there are reasons to be reasonably confident that the Genesis account is correct. And if you want to look at something a little more scary, not inspiring, I assure you, uh, I have put also in the show notes a photograph of myself on a camel when I was about 18 years old. And you can judge for yourself, looking at me on the back of that camel, uh, who is the scruffier looking of the two. But that's for another time. Let me give you another example of some uh, information I found very useful, uh, which I discovered recently. Not so long ago, a, an Egyptian record was discovered from the 10th century before Christ. And it references a place in the Negev called the Fortress of Abraham. So something named after Abraham, a fortress uh, named after him. And it's listed amongst the places conquered by the second, 22nd dynasty king, Sheshonk or Shishak, uh, which you can look up in 1 Kings 14 and 2 Chronicles 12. Uh, he invaded during the reign of Rehoboam, and he mentions the fortress of Abraham. So what is that saying? So it's saying a thousand years after Abraham existed, roughly, and a thousand years before Christ, roughly, that the Abraham tradition, you could say, the name of Abraham, was already well established. You're not going to call something the fortress of Abraham if Abraham doesn't either exist or is not known about uh, for quite some time, even before you call it a fortress. It's a bit like Nelson's Column. Nelson's Column is called Nelson's Column because there was someone called Nelson. Now, the column was constructed about 40 years after the death of Nelson at the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805, but the fact that we have the column is evidence of Nelson. And though archaeology never proves the Bible is the Word of God, it can lend credence and authority to the Bible because it's referencing things that we can show uh, are referenced elsewhere. The fact that there's a reference outside the Bible to the fortress of Abraham makes it much more likely that Abraham did, in fact, exist. Where did he live? Well, of course, it mentions Ur in Genesis 12, that that's where he was, or rather chapter 11, that's where he was and that's where he came from. And he goes from Ur to Haran. So what was Ur like? Well, if you've been to the British Museum, you're a lucky person. And if you haven't, you should go. And if you can't go right now, then you should go to their website. Because in the British Museum, they have tremendous uh, background and, uh, of archaeology and history to uh, the place of Ur. You'll find there a board game, which they dug up. And they dug up a board game from the city of Ur. Uh, the picture is in the show notes. So I'll show you that uh, in there. And uh, we, we can imagine Abraham and his family playing that board game. Perhaps Terah, his father, taught him how to play. Perhaps Abraham played with his brothers. We don't know if they played that particular board game, but that's that's the level of sophistication of that civilization. We know it existed. Uh, ziggurats have been dug up there, temples, houses. It, was, it had sewerage, uh, a sewerage system 4,000 years ago, so quite something. So we know where he lived and we know his journeys rough, within reasonable accuracy. I've also put a map showing his uh, Abraham's journeys through his lifetime in the show notes. You can have a look at that. What else should we talk about? I think we'll talk for about uh, for a moment about 
Yeah, Abraham's story is the beginning of hope for mankind. So you think about the way in which Abraham's story is set here in Genesis and where it is right near the, the beginning of the scriptures. What have we had before we find him here at the end of chapter 11? Well, we've had some, we've had ups and downs, haven't we? We've had highs and lows. We've had the, the glory of creation, chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. The beautiful, amazing things that God has made, that he said that they were good, indeed of humankind, that it was very good. An opinion, by the way, God still holds of you and me. We are made very good. But then we have the fall. Adam, Eve, the serpent, the deceit, the knowledge of good and evil, the taking of the fruit. We have the creation, we have the fall. And then we have the curse. And God says, cursed is the land. And there are, there are various challenges for Adam and Eve laid out. And they are banished from the garden. But alongside the curse, there is grace. For God makes them garments and indeed preserves their life, doesn't, doesn't destroy them, and begins the process of, where, of enacting um, a, a rescue plan that he references in Genesis 3 and will come to its fruition when Christ comes back. But we have curse and grace. And then we have Cain and Abel. We have sacrifice, pleasing sacrifice to God, but then we have displeasing sacrifice and we have murder we had the first murder recorded and then we had the wickedness of humankind which comes to God's attention and God sends the flood to wipe the wickedness from the face of the earth but there's grace there too for he rescues Noah and his family and then we have Babel in chapter 11 we have the creativity of humankind which is so astonishing we have their ability to create, to unify, and to build. And yet we also have pride, don't we? We have the pride of humankind, implying in this passage that they don't need God. And then, although God comes to judge and confuses humankind, we have God's grace again, because he doesn't destroy, he confuses. But he does not destroy. Then, then we get the story of Abraham, his father, his brothers, and the preparation for being introduced to Abraham as someone we're going to get to know well and who and through whom God is going to bring about the healing that he longs for for humankind so God has a long-term plan for reversing the curse bringing healing through those who will worship him and Abraham is the first person we get to know well who shows us what it means to live a life of worship and God begins this process of healing with a relationship, not with a formula, not with a list of laws. And yes, some laws come later, but how does he begin his rescue plan, his healing plan for humankind? He begins it with a relationship, with a relationship with Abraham. He said to him, he called to him, gave him instructions, made promises to him and stayed with him through all of his adventurous life of faith. So God begins with a relationship because for God, it's all about love. It's not about just getting humans to do the right thing. It's about healing the rift that's been created between God and humankind. So there can be a blessed relationship of love that begins in a sense with Abraham, is most perfectly exemplified in Jesus and is offered to us through the power of the Spirit and will come to all of its fullness in the next life. What a wonderful thing. 
What does that mean to us? What does this mean for us? As we think about Abraham here, the one who heard the voice of God, who heeded the voice of God, who received the promises of God, and who, it says in verse 4, went. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. He went. What does it mean to look at Abraham's life, to look at his faith, to examine his life and faith, his ups and downs, let's face it. We'll get into those in the preaching series as we go through. But what's this all about? Well, to finish this class, let me make some suggestions that might help prepare us spiritually for the weeks ahead, looking at Abraham and his life of faith. Firstly, we're going to do well if we remain open to God directing us. Open to God directing us. A scary thought. I, I like to think I'm open to God's direction, but if it's different from what I want, or if it's not comfortable and convenient, I struggle with it. You'll see that Abraham struggles with it too. Don't you and I struggle with this? But part of the, the reason why we have the account of Abraham in the Bible is to show us that when we're open to the direction of God, things go well. Are we open to God directing us this year? Secondly, <laughs> being open to God's timing for God's promises to become tangible. Being open to God's timing for his promises to become tangible. In other words, for God's timing, for his promises to become a reality in our lives. God makes promises to us. They don't all come about the day we get baptized or the next time we pray about them. There is patience involved because God's timing is best. And we see this again and again through Abraham's life. We'll see more of that. Are you and I open to being patient, waiting for God to choose the right time? for his promises to come to fruition in your life and mine. Thirdly, being open to the possibility that your life might be really important. Yes, yours. Not mine, yours. Not somebody you're sitting next to. Not your, whoever you, whoever you, not just whoever you think of as being somebody who has a significant life, somebody who leads a church, leads a location, leads a family group, does something like that, has a role that you can identify in the church community. Not not that, no. Are you open to the possibility that your life is really significant and that that significance will have, the significance of your life means that you will have a multi-generational impact seen far beyond your lifetime. A multi generational impact seen far beyond your lifetime we see this in abraham we see that he begins with that one man and his family that's what god begins with and yet we see as we read through the whole of the rest of scripture how much that of an impact that one man and his family had you may say well i'm not an abraham and i'm not a sarah i'm not an isaac that's a, no, okay neither am i but the point is god uses ordinary people he uses people like you and me. If we're open, if we're open, if we're willing to let God use us in ways which will, which will leave, mean that we will leave a multi-generational spiritual legacy. Are you open to that? I think it's an important question. And finally, to wrap that up, are you and I open to living a life of adventurous faith? <laughs> 
Are you and I open to living a life of adventurous faith? Now, what that might look like for you and me could be quite different. Well, not necessarily talking about upping sticks and moving from, to a new city or a new country, although maybe that could happen for some of us. But what we're talking about is saying, God, I'm open to you directing me into a life of adventurous faith. It may not be comfortable. It may not be convenient. And maybe you need to pray to be willing. Maybe you don't feel willing for that kind of adventurous faith. Join the club. But you can pray for that. I, my friend Charles often says, I need to pray to be willing to be willing, not just to be willing, not just to be able, but to be willingly willing. And perhaps you need to pray that too. God, make me willing. Help me to be willing to be willing to do what is right, to, to live an adventurous life of faith. I, I, I think it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it because in the end, what our lives really count for is, is, is growing closer to God, becoming more Christ-like, and living a more wholehearted life of faith, growing into what that means, learning what that means as we go along. So we can take inspiration from Abraham here, a man just like you and me, yet someone who did live a life of faith. Well, let's finish with a few bits and pieces of what's coming up. I would be interested to know what you're hoping to get out of this series. And so if you'd like to let me know, drop me an email, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. Let me know what you'd like to get out of it. And if you have questions about Abraham and the passages we're looking at, also please uh, send me an email. Don't forget, there's also a devotional podcast fitting in with this series that comes out every morning around one in the morning. It's on the Thames Valley podcast feed, the Watford Church podcast feed, and my own personal podcast feed. So you should be able to find it somewhere. And those are short, about four minute devotional thoughts to help us at the beginning of the day to get our minds into scripture or perhaps into a, uh, a theme of prayer. So you may enjoy those. The classes that are coming up, we're continuing to do every other week teaching classes, uh, what we tend to call our midweeks. I'll be teaching some. The Danis are teaching one. Andy Bawachi is teaching one. And Douglas Jacobi is teaching one. And then we'll be preaching through Genesis in January and February in our locations as well. And so we'll go chapter by chapter uh, through. And I'm starting that this coming Sunday the 3rd. And I'll be speaking on Genesis chapter 12. So that's what's coming up. Right, I think that'll do for today. But I would like to finish with what I regard as our theme scripture from Hebrews 11 and verse 8, which says this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I hope and pray that as I study this material, as you do, as we do, that we will be better equipped as followers of Jesus to live an adventurous life of faith, a faithful life, even though we most of the time don't know where we're going. Until the next class, take care. And God bless.